This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, co-editor-in-chief of Variety. Today my guest is Sean Atkins, president of Jellysmack. Jellysmack is a prime example of a company that is active in an emerging business sector that I have been watching with great interest. The creator economy, the wild west of social media personalities, is really starting to take shape as a content marketplace unto itself. With market structure comes support and administrative services like those offered by Jellysmack. I'll let Atkins explain in detail what Jellysmack offers its creator clients. It's a mix of talent scouting, marketing, and content distribution services. Atkins brings good perspective on how the creator economy is maturing thanks to his long resume as a digital leader in traditional media. Before joining Jellysmack in 2021, he worked as Chief Digital Officer for Discovery Communications and served a hitch as President of MTV. He was also CEO of RTL's Digital Video Group and Senior Vice President of New Media Programming for HBO. That's a title that signals how long ago he held that job. Atkins and I spoke at Variety's offices in late August just a few days after we both attended the Streamy Awards that recognize influencers and digital creators. That event proved to be a jumping off point for the conversation coming up right after this break. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. 
Ramps business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramps software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, and when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. And we're back with a conversation about the creator economy with Sean Atkins, president of Jelly Smack. What did you see on stage? What did you see in the caliber of talent that was at the event that that said that tells you something larger about the the creator economy and where it stands right now in 2023? Yeah, I think the first thing as someone who's been in both the creator economy and in the traditional side of the business is an indication of how much the industry is exploding and maturing. It felt like I'd gone to the Emmys or the Golden Globes or to the Oscar. It felt like a traditional award show with the red carpets and people mingling and sometimes too much alcohol given at the uh, given at the tables. Alcohol and cosplay. Right? You know, what the, could go correct, wrong? Correct. The sa- you know the same amount of like insider jokes that was happening there. You saw you saw talent that would like have had huge businesses for decades in the business and emerging ones. I think the thing that was a little bit differentiated. Uh, is the absolute diversity of that talent base, right? We talk about in the traditional side of the business with the desire for diversity and the struggles we're having as an industry. But you look at the streamings, they don't have that problem at all, right? Like there is absolutely by um, type of creators that were there, uh, how seasoned they were, how senior they were, they were new, they were old. You had the entire uh, operation kind of outlined there. And it was really impressive to see not only the whole industry come together and get celebrated, but sort of the indication of the level of maturity that's happening in the mar- in the market. You could not, you'd have to be blind not to notice that, that this, the creator economy is creating all kinds of lanes for all kinds of diverse talent. Some of the big winners were totally new names to me, I that's will right. completely acknowledge, but you know, groups like AMP and, and RDC World that's were... Right. And very, very clear that this is, you know, truly grassroots content that is being willed up by fandom. And and that you could really see, you know, very writ large there, you know, like like a traditional word show, there were cheering sections. That's correct. But but you could sense that and, and in this in the way that, you know, it the the streamies again, just as a microcosm has evolved and talent is getting up there and t- and thanking their teams That's right. and their manager and it's you know, we can see from our vantage point of variety covering the content business, 
in the last, call it, you know, probably accelerated by the pandemic, yeah. like most everything else in That's our right. lives these days, but the emergence of social media, not just as a platform for people to come out and, and then translate to books and TV shows, but, but truly making serious, a significant living and a significant impact unto, in social media unto themselves. How is that emergence of that economy, how is that an opportunity for Jelly Smack? Well, I think the thing that first people need to understand is that the scale of what's going on with talent and with uh, the businesses they're building in the creator economy is most people generally don't really understand it, right? If you think about the the headline you might see in a variety magazine, like The Rock Signs $20 million Deal to Be in a Feature, that's a front page news. Right. That happens like every day in the creator space with creators that people have never heard of. You, know, you talk about Mr. Beast, who does very well, but there's you look at the Dude Perfect uh, team that has not only a great uh, digital business, they have a huge touring business. You can look at other ones like Charlotte Dobre, who represents a comedian who's not only doing so well on the platform, she's actually self-funding her own pilots uh, in series to develop for television. So there's this immense amount of kind of success and capital for creators who actually completely control the entire means of production and the means of distribution, which really doesn't happen in the traditional media space. And that's the most fascinating thing you see. But the level below and where Jelly Smack comes in is with that explosion of talent and the maturing of that business, like any great entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem, whether you look at restaurants being uh, minted or you look at real estate or anything that has a large entrepreneurial class, there's an infrastructure layer that has to exist so those entrepreneurs can scale. Exactly. Because in the, the challenge for the creator class, and I was actually having this conversation uh, last night with some people who are both actors and creators, mm -hmm. and they were talking about the difference between they started in the acting side of the world and they were used to like, there's a DP, there's an editor and all this infrastructure. And then they became a creator and there's none. <laughs> I'm setting up my ring light. Correct, right. they're setting everything. And they were talking about how it's probably easier to start as a creator because you don't know that infrastructure exists. So you <laughs> sort of build this DNA and you own all the means of production. But the, the contrary to that is, creators who grow up in that ecosystem have a tendency to confuse the mean of production as the creative itself, right? So if you think you have to edit and write and do everything to scale to multiple platforms, it gets very complicated. Just like if you and I started a restaurant and decided we were also going to build an organic farm and make silverware and build, we would have a trouble scaling. Right. That's where Jelly Smack comes in because creators are in that moment right now where they're realizing like, oh, I got to hire editors or I need capital to build a studio or I want to build a merchandise line or I want to build a touring business. They need partners who understand that scale, what that infrastructure needs to look like. And that's what Jelly Smack does. We use all of our AI and technology to develop services that identify these creators at an early stage and then support them so they can grow into real viable businesses across multiple areas. Mm -hmm. And where are you seeing outside of like you know signing a book deal signing a tv show development pact or something where where are you seeing those big those big 20 million level or you know commensurate dollars where are you seeing those deals is so it this, retail is yeah, it yeah so it's interesting so this is the thing i think gets a little bit confusing when we look at the creator economy from a traditional media lens right because we look at it from an entertainment perspective and there is a sizable amount of that they're making videos so that makes sense but the other thing is you have to realize the creator economy is actually transversely impa impacting a lot of different communities. And so when you talk about a creator, they might be on YouTube and they get ad revenue from YouTube, mm -hmm. or they might get brand revenues, right? So they dual stream, like they have a direct relationship with brands. But then they might come from not like an entertainment vertical, like for example, we have people who are in the legal space and they make a ton of money from referrals into their law firm. 
or you might have um, creators who, for example, um, one creator, uh, Lattes, who has such a big business that she's got a giant target retail partnership mm -hmm. now, if you're looking for anything in the yoga space. But you can go through almost every vertical you can think about. And there's a creator with a very dominant position, whether it's real estate, you're looking at legal, you're looking at retail. We have creators like Patrick Starr who have big beauty lines. We have creators like, um, for example, Karen Nate. They are creators who do travel. Mm -hmm. Now, travel and traditional doesn't work that well anymore, right? Travel Channel doesn't really do travel anymore. No one's, you know, we don't have people running around doing travel logs anymore. But in there, for their ecosystem, their audience, not only do they really have an audience who follows them for the information of the travel, but they're so well renowned, they have an app and a business that helps people book travel at a discounted rate, which is like something you wouldn't see in a traditional media, it's the, where they use the power of their distribution to actually build whole businesses credibility and, and credibility in those areas. And so it's really hard to find actually a vertical that doesn't have creators pretty dominant in almost any industry, um, which is what the thing, when people, I don't think they understand the size of the impact mm -hmm. that's happening, is it's not just in the media business, it's literally happening to every industry at the same time. So it sounds, I mean, it's clearly, it's clearly star driven at the very top. You've Correct. got to have millions of followers and you've got, to, you've got to have that personality. But it sounds like what you're saying is you can make a kind of a, call it a middle class living, a, you right. know, a, a, a low to mid six figures right. with some savvy and obviously some success and some luck. That's right. But that does exist for the you can absolutely you can I mean, look, make first that of all work. if you look at it from a pure media business right media is media right it has a power law dynamic there is 10 percent, 5 percent, depending right. on which vertical like that has, the, has an outside has a correct has an outsized control of what's going on the difference in the creator space is that you can to your point you can build a middle class lifestyle I mean, just even at Jelly Smack, I think it's about 80% of our clients have made over $250,000, and we're an ancillary business to them. We're not their core business. So you think about that like that, that is, I think, something like five times the size of the median U.S. income, so it's not small dollars. Mm -hmm. And again, as an emerging market, mm -hmm. right, with ever-growing consumption, ever-growing careers coming into it, the thing we know that happens in markets is like the middle class just starts to scale, right? I often tell people, it's like, it's kind of like China. People used to question 20 years ago, is China ever going to get past the power law of the concentration at the top? And clearly we know the answer to that. The answer is yes. Is there middle class the size of the U.S. middle class? No. But will it be? Yes. And the same thing will happen in the creator space over time, just because it isn't only playing in the media space, right? Because if you're playing in the larger economies, you know, ultimately you're talking about essentially the creator space will impact everything in the GDP. So it's hard to argue that that's not going to have a pretty tremendous uh, mid-market impact over time. Yeah, there's some ROI there. That's correct. <laughs> Let me ask you, and to, just to boil it down, Jelly Smack fundamentally offers people like crucial marketing and distribution support. Would that be a fair characterization? Yeah, the way to think about it is that we are a detection engine on Aura that finds creators who are most likely to have their content either distribute to another form of monetization or another platform. We got our beginning because we're actually founded by three creators who are huge fans. I always have to clarify this for my American audience, of football, European, <laughs> not American. Uh, and you know, back in 2016, when they founded a company and social video isn't what we knew it today, they right. had that hypothesis, it would become what it would be today. Low those many years ago. Correct, low those low years this ago. This business moves fast Back when we days. were both 20. <laughs> exactly. uh, the, um, the, they thought like, oh, I think this is going to be a big opportunity, but I also think that technology will be a big way to grow it. And so they built to about 4 billion streams in multiple verticals. So they started in football, which 
I always say, and so the next logical one they went into is beauty, because that's what <laughs> sports guys do. Uh, but the video gaming, uh, entertainment, so they really figured out how to build content by identifying the type of talent most likely to resonate across these platforms. That technology is what other creators started coming to initially for Jelly Smack, going, hey, I'm struggling as an entrepreneur. I have, I'm completely dedicated to the algorithm and distribution of one platform. I spend every waking moment trying to speak to my audience, develop this business. Can you give me time, effort, and efficiency? And so the big thing that Jelly Smack ultimately says when we partner with our creators, like, look, it's a big back end in terms of the tech we can bring you, but at the end of the day, what we give you is the ability to de-risk and move your content to multiple platforms and ultimately expand your business so that you can be not dependent on just one source of income. Yeah, which diversification is the standard correct. is correct. the standard business philosophy. So let me ask you, is there there's a selectivity on your part? That's you, correct. So there's also a talent almost a talent scouting. Correct. Part on Correct. the part of Jelly Smack. Yeah, the way to sort of think about it is, uh, you know, uh, I always like to use analogies that our own creators have used for me, but they explain our own business. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I'm going to use that. Uh, you know, one of them said is like, look, you're a little bit like universal music, right? At the end of the day, you sometimes find them when they're busking in a subway, right? And we have creators we found that we had like five fifty thousand subs and we turned them into multi-million revenue mm -hmm. companies in a matter of like... Uh, uh, months, and then we have other creators like Mr. Beast, or who have such scale, or called the Taylor Swift, uh, as is the Universal Music, that have such scale that they could kind of do if they wanted to the complexity of what we do for them. But they were like, I need a partner who has scale expertise, and so that's really the best way of thinking about it. Our, our our detection systems are kind of like an A and R group that are trying to find the talent to identify where they're most likely to be successful, and then provide them the services to help them scale. What I'm hearing you saying is that you do a lot of matchmaking. If you that's have a, somebody that's big in the beauty space, you find the beauty people that's and correct. try to and try to bring. That's that correct. You want to identify what the most likely thing is because it's interesting. Is that people ask us a lot, like, what genre should I be in? And there's actually kind of not an answer to that because mm -hmm. it's, it's like, well, it depends on what. You have period. to ask that question. You may not be built to be a correct. social media <laughs> creator. First of all, the thing is, all artists have a spark of something they want to communicate. So I say, start there. Right. What are you passionate about? What do you about? want? What do you say? want to do? I said because again, the thing that's fascinating about the creator space, like we have, we have creators. Uh, Charlotte Dub is a great example of like an unbelievable, talented comedian, absolutely talented writer, absolutely incredible on camera, and but is so successful in her creator space, she's literally funding her own sitcom, right? But you think about that from an, an empowerment of the creative and an attachment to the audience, what that sort of changes in the dynamic. Mm -hmm. But the, but at the same time, we also have people in our thing, and actually one of them on the stream is right who do um, Invisible People. Invisible yes. People is a 503C charity. And just by passionately communicating about homelessness, which you would think is not something, if I if I went to Netflix, like, I want to do a series on homelessness, mm -hmm. they're going to be like, yeah, no, no one's going to watch mm -hmm. it. But yet, this person's found a way to use the storytelling about the, the impact of homelessness in, in, around the nation to build a large viewership that is powering a business that's solving the problems that he's covering. Mm -hmm. But we would you wouldn't necessarily think about it as an entertainment vehicle, right? Right, right. That's interesting. Can I drill down a little bit in terms of Jelly Smack's business? Do you work on like a commission basis? Do you work on a fee basis with the with the yes, creators is the you partner answer. with? Because, the, because we play in so many different lines of business and so many different verticals. So you think about it, we go from helping you identify and ideate to all the way to distribution, marketing, promotion, uh, infrastructure, financing. So we basically play in the whole value chain for some of our creators. Uh, most of our products, we have a, a shared revenue model where we take the capital risk on their behalf and then share in the upside so that we keep our, our interests aligned. But in other cases, we'll take like a rev share of some sort of a split that we do. Um, 
it's typically, I would say the model it looks more like is probably like consumer products where essentially we have a relationship over a period of time or we have a licensing relationship mm -hmm. up to some of their intellectual property over a period of time and then we help them monetize it. Mm -hmm. What, um, what, how many people do you have at Jelly Smack now? How many employees? We have about 500 people. Mm -hmm. uh, in our major uh, centers uh, are Paris, where the founders are originally from, London, New York, Las Vegas, and LA. Don't even think of scrolling away. We'll be right back after this break. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 1067 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. And we're back with more from Jelly Smack president, Sean Atkins. There's so much right now, you know, in the ether about the about the, the biggest of social media platforms. Obviously, the, you know, the, the site formerly known as Twitter X yeah. has been making a lot of moves. Where do you feel the Googles, the Facebooks, YouTubes, where are they right now in this moment of the creator economy? Do you feel like there's an understanding that this is really starting to become its own big thing unto itself? I don't think they're real, uh, having a sudden epiphany. They've known for a long time. You've got to think about Facebook. Yeah, I guess you know, YouTube has been basically been paying out billions and billions of dollars to creators on an annual basis for over a decade right now. You know, Facebook is on a pace in the, in the uh, you just last announced last year, Reels as a product is a year old, and Mark just said it makes $10 billion in revenue. That's like, it's a pretty incredible ramp in one year. Mm -hmm. um, so it's more that they know they have a significant dependency or symbiotic relationship, yeah. depending on whose side you're asking and what they, uh, in that dynamic and trying to figure out, look, their business, they're trying to figure out how to maximize their margins by leveraging creator content. And creators are always trying to figure out how to sort of maximize their margins against platforms who have a little bit more power than they do in the dynamic. Um, I think that for creators, their biggest concern in the grand scheme of things is, is we sort of, the, pain we saw was like, how do I manage multiple platforms at one time? And then sort of what is always platform uncertainty, right? That they, their equivalent of, of in the television business or feature film business, like you know, your film doesn't work, is a platform changes its algorithm one day, you were making success one day and the next day you don't. You right. saw this happen with YouTube actually did it to its own business this year where it's like, I'm so worried about TikTok, I want to move a significant amount of my traffic to short form, sure, yeah. right? And so you saw very significant players who are making millions of dollars a year be like, I just, lost 30% to my bottom line. Um, this is a period of time, this is a sequence of time. So I think more that, that it's creators are trying to navigate platforms. Well, platforms are mostly trying to figure out two problems. One is how do we manage in a world where uh, 
we have a lot of like competition from other platforms because people always assume that like once YouTube, Facebook control things, nothing's going to be around again, and then TikTok exploded two right. years ago. Right? right. So about every five There's, to seven years, another platform comes along. Right. Yeah. It comes. It comes along. So right now, I'd say the video platforms are all trying to figure out what do they do about short form, right? Mm -hmm. And they're all doing different levels of experimentation. I think that obviously TikTok, TikTok is doing with its systemic issues of like, well, are we going to be banned? Are we not going to be banned? Or what's happening with us? How do you see the kind of the dials going between? The amount of time people are spending on social media, on TikTok, just purely watching on creator plat, you know, creator-friendly platforms. There was a day where ninety percent of ad revenue went to newspapers. Yeah, <laughs> yes. because that's where attention was, mm -hmm. right? And so it is inarguable that attention is moving to social and to the creators, right? I think the last thing I saw, like, if you look at the number one television network on televisions today, and I'm including like the SBODs, is YouTube television. Not YouTube television, the cable. It's mm -hmm. like YouTube, the app, is the number one yeah. television network in the world, right? And you're starting to get TikTok and AVODs and SVODs and Fast Channels and all this stuff. So that's only going to continue. Second thing is, and this is what we have a generational shift in consumption. And that's one thing, but we're not at a one gen. We're now two generations into the shift, right? So people like me, who are early adopters of digital consumption, I have four teenagers. <laughs> right. They only lived in a world with totalitarian control. And if you looked at the interests <laughs> of my four kids of what they watch, they have like nothing in common, right? Like, sure, we'll sit down. We're, you know, we have a tradition as a family. We love Survivor. We sit down when it's water, we watch Survivor. But the other 90% of the time, if I picked up my phone and I showed you what my kids are watching, right? You'd be like, one kid's watching video game playthroughs. Another one is watching beauty hacks. Another one just watches funny memes on TikTok. That means that the that it always lags the advertiser dollars always lag but they always end up where attention is and so that is and is we're only debating what the timeline is mm. and it reminds me and i suspect you, you recall this remember when cable first started and they would talk about most of the attention is moving every year to cable mm -hmm. more cable and you, but you see bit, how much yeah. the monetization was like yo but they're like oh the super bowl is getting you know you're like why isn't cable to this day, still cable isn't fully monetized at the level of attention that it had versus broadcast, but it's like 90% of the way there. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing just as it's digital. going down, it's starting Correct. to on that other side. Yeah, cable is the one I might argue might have one of the heaviest morphs mm -hmm. in the space versus a lot of the other industries. Yeah, it is. It, it, and, it, and it's such a, it's all, you know, it's almost been whiplash in terms of it was, you know, it was the way versus the dual oh, revenue. The greatest, stream. the greatest cash machine like and by the way i've started my career in that space so but uh, i think i think there's an like around 1980 to 2020 is a bookend of a, of an earnings machine that we will probably not see the likes of very soon but but yeah. you know even as we sit here and speak it in 12 24 months time somebody could have come up with something that it, it, you know blazes a trail that we can't even that we can't even conceive of now. That's how fast yeah, and, look, and, you, you and innovative about, yeah, this space is. When people talk about the machine of cable, right? We really break it down into a financial perspective. They're talking about the amazing margins that cable kicked off, right? You're talking about 40% margins, right? Whereas a production company might do 15, 20%. But the thing is, like, if you look at creators, I look at creators doing 40, 50, 60, 70% margins. Like it's incredible what these businesses are doing. That's why I always find it interesting. Even look, when I was at um MTV and people come and pitch like, oh, I found this new creators. Let's let's have them pitch a show. And they pitch unbelievably wonderful creative. And then you'd show them the economics of the deal you wanted to do with them. They're like, let me get this straight. 
I do whatever I want creatively every single day. Yes. And all the money accrues to me. Yes. But if I come work for you, I got 20 people giving me notes on every single thing I do. Yes. And you're going to pay me like one one hundredth. And I own none of the rights. Yes. Why would I do that? <laughs> and so that's the other thing I think people don't understand about the creator space. It's like, yes, there's creators who want to do a traditional thing. And this is part of their story. A hundred percent. I said, but I think the other thing that people don't understand is a large, in fact, you remember the person who won best show of the year, what she talked about is like, I am making something that would never be greenlit. Mm. That is an audience bigger than something that's never been greenlit. Yes. With uh, seven people. Michelle Kane of Challenge Accepted. Correct. Correct. And she's right. That is a minimum, at least a cable caliber quality show. And yeah, she's it's right. a daredevil would, show right, she does all these stunts. Which would have not stunts. been greenlit. And she owns all the rights, had mm-hmm. all creative control, mm-hmm. has full relationship. With so that's what I think is really empowering to the creative class is that you have this incredible thing that I don't think it's an or, I think it's an and. You can have an and. Yeah. You can have your creative passion and be monetized and have a middle class lifestyle. And you can do the traditional route at the same time. It doesn't have to be, you have to be one or the other, or one is dependent on the other. And in a a world where streaming licensing deals are changing quite a bit, they're not quite as rigid as they have been. Somebody coming in with, I own the format, I own every stitch of every minute of content, every frame, that person coming in, if they do want to do a a more traditional TV deal, is going to have a lot more clout at the negotiating table than somebody that only, you know, is only a star in their own show. Well, also you have the, the transition that um, I still remember when uh, I was first started working and I was laughing when reality TV started, right? People were like, uh, that's never going to be a thing. It's not going to be a thing, right? But that was the explosion of cable production companies. So which, and again, it is roll up of those cable production companies that are the biggest television production companies today, right? Fremantle, uh, ITV, whatnot. Mm-hmm. I said, but all of those companies were built in a world where a broadcast hour was like four to six million dollars. And then a cable company's like, I'll pay three hundred thousand dollars for it. <laughs> right. And people are like, that's impossible, you can't do it. But you saw like a ten times the same thing's happening in digital, right? You're just seeing the cost of production is coming down, mm-hmm. the the lack the the ability of having creative talent on a global basis to be able to service that. And so what I think one of the interesting opportunities for the traditional channels that are getting squeezed on the cost side is you're gonna have like a nut, like the cable class came in, can produce what became mm-hmm. the reality burn and sort of help with that cost structure. The digital teams are going to come in and have that same thing. I was like, okay, well, I could call a creator to your point, and like I can get a what looks like one of my primetime shows. I'm not paying five hundred thousand an hour anymore. I'm paying a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And so I think that also the creator ecosystem and their that class has an ability to help the traditional side to make sure that the volume of production is not going to go away. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing they're you know pulling a lot of personalities are coming there. Do you sometimes advise people on, you know, how that they shouldn't spend too much on this piece of content? Do you do you advise people sometimes on the margins? Like if you you know if you do this to make it look good, you're going to have to put in this much. We do. Probably we do. So just we have an entire again an entire tech team that's analyzing. Uh, what works, what formats, what lengths, what time, what period. And it all goes down to even, you know, one of our most recent acquisitions, Network Media, is an entire entity focused around us where they actually focus on finding what I call entertainers. So not like, not necessarily a kid. I was playing video games and I became a Twitch creator, but a someone's like, oh, I was a a circus entertainer or I was a musician. who's was like, I want to get into digital thing. And what they do is we teach them and train them using all of our data, all the best ways to make sure to 
make content that entertains for the platform that you're on and it's all completely data. I mean, they, they literally get a training update every single day of literally what's working. Thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate you letting, you know, letting me lob questions at you no and problem. telling Thanks us about your me. business. And it's a very fascinating space. And we definitely, I, I definitely prize, I would call them my tour guides to helping me understand this. I know it's important and I know it's important that Variety be on top of it. So thank you for helping me Thanks do for that. Me. Right. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. We love to hear from listeners. Please go to Variety.com and sign up for the free weekly Strictly Business newsletter. And don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.